from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. I hope you'll take some time to visit our ministry website where you can find a library of valuable digital content. It's all available at djkm.org. The Bible is filled with many miracles, from Moses parting the Red Sea to Jesus turning water into wine, all these miracles are meant to showcase God's majesty. But what do you think is the greatest miracle ever performed? After some deliberation, it's obvious that one miracle stands apart from all the others. It's the miracle of the incarnation, where the God of the universe chose for his glory and for our benefit to become part of his own creation. He chose to be born as a helpless babe, Jesus Christ. As the prophet tells us, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That indeed is the greatest miracle in all of human history, a miracle so unexpected, so astonishing, that it raises a profound question. Why did he do it? Why did God leave the glories of paradise to become a man? Here is Dr. D. James Kennedy with his message, Cur Deus Homo. Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 1. Verse 1, the prologue. May we hear the inspired word of the living God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness to the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but 
of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And may God speak to us today through his holy word, and may his name ever be praised. Amen. Cur Deus Homo, a rather unusual title for a message, no doubt, especially because it is, of course, in Latin. But I'm trusting that all of you reached back into your high school or junior high school Latin and pulled up enough to decipher that title. Deus certainly ought to be easy enough. We used that word in song just a few moments ago, in excelsis Deo, at least a form of that word, which, of course, means God. Now, homo shouldn't be too much difficulty if we simply think about homo sapiens, because we is it. And that, of course, refers to man. But cur. Dog? No. That means why. Therefore, we have why God man, which happens to be the title of one of the greatest of the Christian classics, written exactly 900 years ago at this very time by St. Anselm who was the Archbishop of Canterbury. Why did God become man? Now today, before you even try to answer a question like that, you would have to settle the surprise in the eyes and minds of some people at the very idea that God did become man. Though this is the central foundational fact of Christianity, we live in a time when there are many people that suppose Christmas is about the birthday of Santa Claus. And certainly would be the farthest thought from their mind that it has anything to do with God becoming man. And yet that's exactly what the incarnation is all about, God incarnate. And we all know what that means. At least many people would know what chili con carne means. That's chili beans with meat. God incarnate is God in meat, in human flesh. And that's what Christians all believe. But why? Why did God become man? Why? Was it necessary that the infinitely glorious, omnipotent creator of all of the universe that fashioned the galaxies should step out of his ivory palace into the filth of a stable and become man? Well, we hear a lot of ideas about it which we might look at and weigh in comparison to what the archbishop taught us. For example, this is a story that seems to come around about every Christmas time that you probably have heard before. It's about a Christmas Eve in the upper Midwest where several feet of snow 
blanketed the landscape, and the family in this, uh, this godly farming family had left their home to go to a Christmas Eve service. All that is except Father, who was of a skeptical bent of mind and really had little patience with this nonsense about God becoming man and believed the whole thing to be nothing more than a myth for which there was no earthly purpose that he could conceive of. And so while the family is off at church worshiping, he is smoking his pipe and reading a book when suddenly there is a thump on the glass window of his home. And then another one. And he gets up and walks over to this plate glass window and looks out and there at the base of the window are two birds fluttering in the snow. He returns to his book only to be disturbed again and again and finally walking once more to the window he sees now that there's a whole flock of birds out there in the snow. And he says to himself, well, those poor stupid little birds are going to freeze to death out there in the snow all night. Aha! His hard heart at least softened at the plight of these birds. He says, I will open the great doors of my barn and invite them in where it's warmer, where they will not die. And so he goes outside puts on his coat first and scarf and gloves and opens the great doors of his barn and then comes over and tries to shoo the birds into the barn, which of course are immediately terrified and fly off in all directions. He is somewhat frustrated about that and shortly thereafter they return again and he has a brilliant idea that what he'll do is get some corn and, and make a path to the barn and that will no doubt attract them in. However, one factor that he had not considered, and that is that unfortunately all birds have bird brains. And uh, such deductive logic was apparently beyond them. And that didn't work either. And as he is standing there, looking out the window, scratching his head, wishing that there were some way that he could communicate with these birds, he said to himself, if I, could, if I could just become a bird, I'd tell them that I don't want to hurt them or scare them. I want them to come into my barn where they'll, be, where they'll be warm and safe. And suddenly, the church bells pealed in the distance, and the light went on in his mind. Oh! That's why God became man, in order that he could tell us of his love and assure us that he only wanted to bring us into his barn that we might be safe forever. How lovely. Well, it's a beautiful story, no doubt, and there is certainly an element of some truth in it, and yet, my friends, light years from the real truth. Can he who made the ear not hear, and he that fashioned the mouth not speak, 
God does not have the limitations of man. Did not God walk in the garden and conversed with Adam and Eve? Did he not speak in audible tones there to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai? Did he not communicate with mankind for centuries through his prophets? And could he not communicate in a thousand other ways, even speaking directly to our minds if he saw fit to do it? He doesn't have the limitations of a farmer. He is the omnipotent God. And so the story falls far short of the great truth of cur deus homo, why God became man. A second idea that we often hear is that God became man because there is this great longing and desire in the hearts of men that they might see God. The beatific vision, it's called. Job said, oh, that I might know where I could find him and go and see him and speak to him face to face. If we could but see God, we would know how we ought to live. So, said Socrates, they worship truth, goodness, and beauty and felt that if only man could see perfect truth and perfect goodness and perfect beauty, then immediately man would know how he ought to live his life and would gladly and delightedly follow in that path. And so one day truth descended from heaven and became incarnate in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the way the truth and the life who is truth incarnate and goodness as well. For in him there was found no sin. Which of you convinceth me of sin? He said, he is the crystal Christ, the son of righteousness in whom there is not the slightest stain of iniquity and beauty. Ah, he is the altogether lovely one, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the delightful one the perfect one in whom all is in perfect symmetry, every quality of human virtue was in perfect balance in him. And so he came and walked among us, and when we saw him, we hated him. And with rough hands we took him and threw him on the ground and nailed him to a cross because he was a mirror that showed us our wrinkles and our warts and our ugliness and our sin. And so we nailed him to a tree and then we buried him in the ground out of sight and mind. Socrates knew little or nothing about the true depths of the depravity of the human heart. No, our condition requires something far greater than a perfect exemplar, exemplar like Christ. That is not the ultimate reason, Cardeus homo. Why did God become man? He became man because of the fact that the sin of man is an infinite sin. 
Now, he was not merely referring to the fact that if you take the tens upon tens of thousands of sins of thought and word and deed, of omission and commission, which are piled up over the heads of every one of us and add them all together into a gigantic mountain, that it would be almost infinite in nature. He's talking more than that. He's talking about the fact that the least sin against an infinitely holy being such as God demands an infinite penalty. The sin of man is an infinite sin. And secondly, said St. Anselm, it therefore demands an infinite payment since the penalty must match the crime. There must be an infinite payment made for infinite sin. But it is thirdly man who has sinned, not a lamb or a bull or a goat. And all of the bulls and lambs that died upon a thousand altars of antiquity could never pay for the slightest sins of man. It is man that sinned, it is man that must pay. But how can man who is finite ever pay an infinite penalty. One way is that he spend an infinite amount of time doing so in hell. But is there another? How in the short space of this world could any man pay such a penalty? And so he came the God-man, the Theanthropos, the creator, creature joined forever. And so he went to that cruel hill called Golgotha, soaked with the blood of criminals and scattered with the bones of miscreants, murderers, and the offscarring of the human race. And there they laid him on the cross and they took those spikes and hammers and they began to pound them through his flesh. And ah, dear one, those blows ringing down through the corridors of the centuries have awakened countless souls that were asleep in their sins to the deadly peril of their condition and have smashed and broken the hard hearts of many sinners and caused them to yield themselves unto the Savior. Do you hear those blows today? Ah, will you not awaken out of the sleep of sin and death while there's still time before it is everlastingly too late? And that cross was set up in place and then 200 thousand billion trillion suns focused as it were the wrath of God into the very core of the soul of the God man there upon the cross and Christ suffered in body and soul an infinite wrath an infinite penalty we may not know we cannot tell what pains he had to bear but we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there and the penalty ultimately was paid in full. And the forgiveness of God 
could be freely proffered to all that would believe, to all that would cast themselves before that cross and invite the Savior to come into their hearts. Have you received him? Has that rose blossomed in your heart? Have you trusted in him alone as your Savior? Have you repented of your sins and cast yourself before him, saying, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to thee. Take me and make me wholly thine. The least sin against the infinite holiness and honor of God is demanding of an infinite penalty. Ah, dear one, how shall you pay it? Ah, guilty one, how shall you pay this debt? Thou hast nothing to pay and shalt be cast into the prison house of sin and death and hell until thou hast paid all. Or else you shall bow before the God-man who paid it for you. What thou, my Lord, hath suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was a transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior. Tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor. Vouchsafe to me thy grace. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end. Oh, make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, oh, let me never, never outlive my love for thee. May we pray. This, O oh God, is why thou didst become man. O oh God, may there be no one here who shall look upon such infinite suffering, such infinite mercy and grace, and turn his back and die impenitently without hope except to pay that penalty himself forever. May some right now be awakened from the lethargy of their sleep of death. And may they say, O oh Lord Jesus, I am the sinner for whom thou hast suffered so much. Have mercy upon me and forgive me. Come, I yield myself to thee. Set up thy throne in my heart and be thou my Savior and my God. Henceforth it is my great delight to follow thee. In thy name, amen. 
Did you just ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to be your Savior and your Lord? If you did, let me be the first to welcome you to the family of God. I can assure you that your life will never be the same as God has come to give you life to the full now and forever. To help you learn more about this new life in Christ, we want to send you Beginning Again, which is precisely what you're doing. I encourage you to read it from cover to cover as it will help you begin to grow in your new faith. To receive your copy, just write to our address or call our toll-free number and be sure to ask for Beginning Again. God bless you as you do. As Dr. Kennedy shares, God came to earth and became man because man's infinite sin against the infinite holiness and honor of God required an infinite penalty. It was man that sinned, therefore it was a man that must pay. God the Son paid that price for us on Calvary that we might repent and spend eternity with Him. This truth is one that changed the world forever. One of Dr. Kennedy's most beloved books is titled Truths That Transform, and it's an examination of these kinds of truths, truths that have changed the world. This book examines key principles of Christian doctrine, such as holiness, Christ's return, eternal security, heaven, and much, much more. It presents scriptural answers to all of these important issues in easy-to-understand language. If you only have one of Dr. Kennedy's books in your library, it should be this book. And we will be happy to send you a copy of Truths That Transform as our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or go online to djkm.org. As you give, you will also be helping us launch our most exciting new initiative in years, the D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Leadership. Operated out of the Capitol Hill offices, of our Center for Christian Statesmanship in Washington, D.C., this initiative will identify future Christian leaders with great potential and train them in biblical worldview and constitutional principles, as well as the practical skills needed to be effective in government. Exciting work is already underway there, and we need you to stand with us if we are to achieve these important goals. If you are able to give a generous donation of $75 or more, we will send you the book, Truths That Transform, plus the audiobook version. This six-CD audiobook is the perfect way for you to listen to this great content while on the go. That's the book, Truths That Transform, plus the unabridged audiobook, as our thanks for a generous donation of $75 or more or we'll send you the book alone for your generous donation to the continuing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or go online to djkm.org.
I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD or audio CD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.